Amen. Well, good morning, Cross Point. How's everybody doing this morning? It's great to see you here this morning. I know we have a thin crowd. It is Thanksgiving uh, weekend, and so a lot of people are traveling. I know many families have, have let me know that they won't be here this weekend, and that's understandable as people are off with family. But uh, how many of you, let me just ask you this this morning, how many of you feel like you might have eaten too much this weekend? Anybody? Anybody feeling that? I'm pretty much feeling that myself, and uh, you know, I, I, I was telling some guys in the, in the green room this morning, I just don't know how you can gain 12 pounds in two days, but I think that's what has happened to me, so I don't know. This week is going to be heavy on the exercise, I believe, and, and low on the food intake, but uh, you may be on that same plan as well, but it's good to see you here this morning, and, uh, and just speaking of all the food that we've eaten, you just saw the video where we... We did this year with our annual um, Adopt-A-Box campaign or initiative. We did feed 241 families, just to, so you know. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity in that. Thank you for your giving in that. Just so you know, that translates to a, a, about 15 or 1,600 people that were fed on Thanksgiving holiday this weekend. And so what an amazing way that we can come and, and give away turkeys and dressing and all the other things that we enjoyed ourselves this this year for the holidays and uh, and and just see the the happiness and the joy on the faces of many this morning we're going to continue in our series called share the season and we we launched this uh, this uh, series about four weeks ago and today we'll be wrapping this series up and getting ready for uh, a Christmas series it'll begin next Sunday can you believe that Christmas is almost here I mean how many of you can believe that it's just it's insane to me how fast the years can go by, but they just seem to fly by these days. And uh, next Sunday, we'll be kicking off a new series um, called A Child is Born. And I think you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me just say, let me just ask one more question before we dive into uh, to a time of prayer and, and dive into God's Word here this morning. But how many of you are thankful that that child was born years ago? And his name was Jesus. And we have an opportunity today to call him Savior. So uh, I tell you, uh, this is a, uh, that time of the year where we all get to be reminded of the reality that we are thankful for Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. And um, we'll be talking more about that uh, over the next uh, month as we celebrate the Christmas season, season starting next week. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into God's Word and uh, continue looking at what it means to be people of generosity. Uh, Jesus spoke a lot about this issue, and uh, there's no way that we can avoid talking about this as we dive into God's Word. It, it really is, is everywhere. And so we're going to continue through this series, going to push through it here today and wrap this one up and, and prepare for the next one as well. So let's pray together this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place and Lord for just an amazing opportunity that we've already had to just come together as a faith family and to worship in spirit and truth and God it's so amazing to just experience your presence in our life knowing father that you came uh, to this earth uh, Lord you came to this earth as a little baby who would one day go to the cross and die for our sins and Father, we're so thankful that your word tells us that by your grace we can be saved through 
a very authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son to die on the cross. Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we prepare our hearts and our minds to just dive into the truth of your word. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear, that we would be, uh, Lord, prepared and ready to just hear from you this morning, God, as we continue in this spirit of worship. God, we recognize that worship comes in so many different ways. And, Father, we have already experienced such amazing worship uh, with you, God, through music and prayer and adoration and praise. And now, God, as we have this opportunity to turn to your word and to continue to worship you through the reading and the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, that you would hide me behind the cross as we prepare to dive into your truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to be speaking, we're going to be speaking on the virtue of stewardship. The virtue of stewardship. And we're going to continue in our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Go ahead, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there with me, if you will. We're wrapping up this, this chapter here today. If, if, if you've read through 2 Corinthians before, you begin to realize that, that uh, when you get to chapter 8 and even into chapter 9, that these two chapters that Paul was writing to the church there in Corinth and, and really all the churches there in Macedonia, as he was writing this letter, he began to speak on the issue of stewardship. He began to speak on the issue of generosity. He was talking about what it means for God's people to be people of generosity and to be people who are giving. And so he's been dealing with this, and we've been seeing this as we walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, we, we've been really learning a lot of incredible things as we've looked at this. Last week we were talking about the importance of partnering together and really challenging us to be reminded that when we come into this place, as we belong to this church, that we are partners together in a great commission that Jesus Christ himself has given us to go out and to carry the gospel message into the into our community and, and beyond, even to the ends of the earth, Jesus would tell us to go. And so we, we realize that Christ has given us this remarkable vision to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samarias, and even the ends of the earth. And, and he has empowered us uh, by his power through his blood. And, and, and as believers in Christ Jesus, we have uh, the good news of Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a moment a little bit. But we have the good news to go out and to share with others who are in desperate need of hearing this truth that we have already heard and received. And so we, we, we see that uh, and we come to understand that this is God's plan for us and that God has gathered us together as partners in this great endeavor. And so not only do we think about our lives as individual followers of Christ and all that God is teaching us and showing us and revealing to us as individual disciples, but he's also showing us and helping us to understand our role collectively as the body of Christ. And so we, we've been walking through that. We've been talking a lot about that, and we, we looked at that more in depth last week. Now, today, Paul is going to uh, focus more on the commendable and honorable work of giving. He's going to talk about uh, our effort in giving, our stewardship, if you will, uh, of our financial resources. He's talking a lot about the honorable work that that is. We all know that 
Uh, even in our giving, we spoke just a few moments ago about worship, and we, we begin to realize that even through our giving, that is an act of worship for God's people to be people who give. And so we've been walking through this and looking at this, and so today we want to continue with this as we talk about the virtue of stewardship. We're going to be looking at issues like giving begins with, uh, with, it, with the heart. It, it, it's a heart issue. We're going to be looking in depth at that. We're going to be looking at the reality that our goal in giving should always be to advance the gospel. And so the reason we give is that lives will be changed forever. And then finally, we're going to be looking at also the reality that our aim in giving should always be one that is honorable and blameless. And so we're going to be sort of diving into these truths this morning as we jump into God's Word. I want to read the passage for us here this morning, and then we'll break it down. We'll just begin to sort of look at this and see what it is that God wants to teach us together this morning. So let's look at this uh, together. If you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 16, and we'll go through verse 21. I don't know that we'll have time to, to finish this all out, but, but, uh, but this is really the, the heart of what I want to look at here with you this morning. So look at this with me. Starting with verse 16, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, the churches of Macedonia, and he says this. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus. Now, if you remember, Titus was a young protege. He was a young pastor. He was a disciple of Paul. Paul was pouring into this young preacher and pastor. And so he's speaking of Titus here. He says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to by us for the glory of the Lord himself and will show our good work. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And so here's what we see. As we look at this text, we begin to realize that Paul is, is talking a lot about being a good steward of the financial resources. Now remember, we started all the way back at chapter 8. We've been walking through this verse by verse, looking at this one chapter in all of God's Word. He's been talking about financial resources. He's been talking about giving. He's been talking about generosity. He's been talking about the need to give and the reason we give and all of these things about giving. And he gets to this place where he now sort of shifts his focus just a little bit and he begins to talk about the, the virtue of stewardship or the, the need to be good stewards with God's money. And this is something that we all need to understand and we begin to learn. And as Paul begins this, this passage that we're looking at here today, we begin to realize that, that he is, as he's talking about being good stewards of, of God's money, he, he begins to reveal to us that giving begins with a heart 
for others. That giving begins with a heart for others. Giving has always been a heart issue. That's something that we see throughout scriptures. We read all the other scriptures that talk about generosity. Giving has always been a heart issue. For, for those who give and give much, it's, it's something that is really coming from an overflow of what Christ has already done in their hearts and this transformative work that has taken place in their life. And, and, and the reason that, that people who give, give is because they, they know that it will serve to advance the gospel. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. And, and as it advances the gospel, others' lives are changed forever. How many of you this morning would testify that your life has been changed forever by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in your life this morning? How many of you will testify to that? And the reality is you came to know Jesus, uh, I almost said this morning, like all of you got saved, but, uh, but uh, you come to know Jesus because of the efforts of others who came before you. And people were, were people who served the, the church and served the community. There were people who gave of their financial resources. There were people who eventually came out and shared the gospel with you. And as a result of all these people giving of their time, their talents, and their treasures, all of these people who were giving for the sake of others, we came, ourselves came to know Christ ourselves, and we as we came to know who Christ was we 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 surrendered our life to Christ we gave our life to Christ we've been transformed by the by the blood of Jesus and and through all of that we can today say that our lives have been transformed by Jesus and as and all of that we point back to those who cared enough to give for us and so we begin to see that that giving is a heart issue it's something that has always been a heart issue issue and what Paul is going to point out here today is this very thing he says here in verse 16 as we begin this text uh, sort of breaking it down here he says in verse 16 he says but thanks be to God he says thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you we've got to recognize that this is a heart issue we've got to recognize that that, that this, is, this is something, generous giving, being a generous person, being someone who, who has a, a desire to give is something that, that flows from the overflow of what Christ has already done in our own hearts. And so Paul here, as he looks at and he's speaking to the Corinthian church and he's teaching them, he is saying this very thing. He's saying, look, God has done something amazing in Titus's heart. And therefore, Titus is someone who is not only just embrace this idea of giving but he is someone who I feel confident in sending to you because you see what Titus is doing he's he's coming to the Corinthian church to to literally gather money to fund the mission that they are on and so he's coming to gather this this financial resource and Paul says I want you to know the heart of Titus I want you to understand his heart and so Paul in saying this he's he's basically revealing to us uh, the, the heart of, of Titus and he says I'm sending him because he has this amazing heart for God and for other people I look at this and I think but isn't that who we are supposed to be as Christians anyway right I mean this is one of the very first lessons that we learn as believers in Christ Jesus is that we should have the heart for other people 
that it's no longer just about who we are. It's not about who we are as individual followers of Christ. It's about having a love for God, and as we love God, God loves us, and, and we have this amazing interaction with God. God is walking with us. There's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's taking place, and so we have this amazing opportunity to walk with Jesus through life, and what we begin to do is we begin to develop this heart that is a heart not only for our own selves, but also for other people. And so this is what begins to happen. Here at Cross Point Church, as we talk about connect, grow, serve, send, as we talk about connect, we, we, we say this all the time to people that we're having conversation with about really the vision of Cross Point Church, and that is that we want all people to love God and to love others. And that comes straight out of the gospel. That comes straight out of God's word. We see where Jesus he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Do you think you could love him any less than that? I mean, is there any way that we could, I mean, this is pretty much all-inclusive, isn't it? With, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And then he says this in verse 38, uh, Matthew 22, verse 38. He says, this is the great and first commandment. And so the great and first commandment is to love God with every ounce of our being, with every part of who we are, to love God. And we know this. I mean, we've been saved by grace. We've been saved through faith in Christ Jesus. And we know that we are called to love God, that we are not to put anything else above God. And so we are called to love God. But then Jesus goes on and reveals really the second greatest thing that we could do and, and know about our life is this. He says, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the things that Jesus reveals to us, the most important thing that Jesus reveals to us is to love God above all things. But in the same way that you love yourself, love other people. And so we begin to see this this thing that is being revealed to us, this, this heart thing, this issue of the heart, this matter of the heart, if you will. And so as we look at generosity, we begin to realize that we will probably never be a very generous person if we don't have a heart for others. It just won't happen. And so here we see where Paul is pointing back to Titus. He says, this young man, this young preacher, this young minister of the gospel, he's coming to you to collect the gifts in which you are going to be giving to fund this mission. And he says, and as you come, I don't want his heart to be misunderstood. He is a man who not only embraces this idea of generosity, but he is coming on his own accord. And this is what Paul begins to, to say uh, about this young man he begins to tell us that this is a man whose heart has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ he talks about it in the next chapter as well as we continue reading in 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 we read this where he says each one of us must give as he has decided look at this in his heart it's a heart issue Generosity has always been a heart issue. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, one of the things that I believe we must always remember is that we are a body. We are a body where older and younger and stronger and weaker come together and they do life together and they, 
they're there for one another. And one of the things that we begin to realize as we look into Scripture is that the stronger, uh, with the stronger, there's a great need to, to, to bear the needs of the weaker. And for the weaker, there's a great need to bear the needs of even the weakest. And then as we come together collectively, we begin to notice that, that, that what we are to be to a community that is in desperate need of Christ Jesus is to be strong in the face of our community, strong with the power of Christ in our life, testifying that life change has come to us by, the, by Christ Jesus himself and by no other and, and, and being the light of, of the world to our community. We've talked about that in the last series that we were walking through. And so here we see... Here we see Paul really revealing to us this incredible thing that we need to understand, and that is that giving is a heart issue. You know, the reality is we see enough self-centeredness in the world, don't we? We see enough self-centeredness in the world. Heaven forbid we see it in the church today. And so all through Scripture, we begin to see where the, the Word of God talks about us having a heart for other people. It's so important that we also point out that Titus wasn't doing this from any sort of sense of duty. He, he, he wasn't the man he was because he was being told to do this. He wasn't under compulsion, the things that he did as a young preacher, as a young pastor. He was a man who, as Paul says, he, he was a man who was who was living for Jesus. He was a guy who had a heart for God and he had a heart for others and he was doing these things willingly because, because he was a man who cared. And so we read here in verse 17 as we, as we dive into this, for, it, it says this, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Titus had a heart for the ministry in which he belonged to. He had a heart for the ministry in which he belonged to. Titus recognized that he was a part of something much bigger than himself, and he had a heart for the ministry in which he belonged to. And so we begin to see this. As we look at this text, we begin to understand that he believed in the vision. He, he believed in the mission. Let me ask you a question here this morning. What do you suppose might happen if every one of us in this room embraced the vision and the mission that Christ has given us collectively as a church, what do you suppose might happen if every one of us in this room, if every single one of us in this room embraced the vision and the mission that Christ has given us collectively as a church? I believe our minds would be blown by what Christ wants to do among us. But what, by what Christ wants to do within us. I, I believe that we would be blown away if, if every one of us came together with a real sense of not only belonging, but embracing the vision and the mission of Christ as he has given to us as a local church. You know, I, I read in passages like Acts chapter 2, and we begin to see where the early church was sort of formed. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and as Jesus ascends into heaven, his disciples, they go up into the upper room, and, and it's there that they receive the, the Holy Spirit. And collectively, as a body, they begin to try to figure out, okay, what is it that God would have us to do and they begin to remember the teachings of Christ and all the things that he taught. And they remember that Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses.
witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And he, he remembers all, they remember all of that. And they roll up their sleeves and they say, okay, guys, it's time to get to work. We see where Peter goes out and he begins to preach this amazing message. He's preaching the truth of salvation concerning Christ. And so as he's preaching all of this truth, we begin to see people come to the Lord. We begin to see people who, who really just begin their lives transformed by the power and the blood of Jesus. And we see amazing things begin to happen. And as we read through Acts chapter 2, we see that the people were devoting themselves. They were devoting themselves. And it says in, in Acts chapter 2, 42 and 43, that an awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done. And awe came upon every soul. When was the last time you stood in awe of what God was doing? When was the last time that you had one of those jaw-dropping experiences where you looked at the circumstances around you and said, look at God go. Look at what God is capable of. Look at what God is doing among us how many of us when was the last time honestly when was the last time any of us stood in awe of Jesus was it this morning while we were singing was it this morning while we gathered together for the preaching or when we see those people who are in desperate need of Jesus come to know the Lord when we begin to see that develop as a, as a regular pattern, as, as the, the people of God who gather together collectively begin to realize that God has given us an opportunity for something much bigger than ourselves, and collectively we come together devoted only to stand in awe of everything that Jesus is doing among us. I'll be honest with you. I'm ready for that. I'm ready to see God do something so incredible that I can look at that and I can say, you know what? That is out of our own capabilities. But it's not impossible with God. God must be doing that. That's what I'm ready for. How about you? Are we ready for that? Are we ready to see God change our children's lives? Are we ready to see God change the, the students in our community? Are we ready to see God move in such remarkable ways that the, the overflow of what's happening here in Valdosta, Georgia begins to spill out to our Judea and our Samaria and ultimately go around the world to where we can look around and we can notice, we can take note that God is doing something remarkable in this place and truly this local gathering of believers has become a city on a hill whose light is shining brightly. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. And so here we see the, that Paul, he says, man, I want you to know the heart of Titus. I want you to see this man's heart. We can't misunderstand that our giving of our time and our talents and our treasures is a heart issue. We cannot miss that. I believe one of the reasons that, that churches struggle these days with getting anything done is because of what I call fragmented interest. Churches today aren't coming together united around the same vision. 
no, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. And, and, and all of those things may be great works, but collectively nothing is happening because of these fragmented interests. And so everybody thinks that we're accomplishing something when in reality we're really not accomplishing much at all. Certainly not anything much bigger than ourselves. Because we have in our mind such an individualistic mindset when it comes to our relationship to the Lord, rather than looking around and belonging and embracing a church family that together could do so much more than we could ever do on our own. Fragmented interest. And churches are struggling all over this country today because of that. The second thing that Paul points out as he begins to talk about being a good steward of God's money is he says this, the goal of our giving should always be to advance the gospel. The goal of our giving should always be, it should always serve to advance the gospel. Look at verses 8 and 19, 18 and 19 with me here for just a moment. He, he says this, he continues, he says, with him we are sending the brother who is famous among the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Many scholars believe that, that who Paul is referring to here is Luke. And so we have, we have Titus going, but obviously he's there with some other brothers, and we don't know, Paul didn't identify this other guy, but here's what Paul did do. He said, there's a guy that's coming with him, there's a brother who's coming with him, and he is very famous, I don't really like that word, but he's, he's famous uh, uh, for preaching the gospel. I guess if you're gonna be famous about anything, let it be famous about preaching the gospel, but he's, he's, he's a man who is devoted to preaching the gospel, and that's the point that Paul is making here as we continue to read this, and he says this, he says, uh, he, he says here in this passage, he says, he is coming with this brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And look at verse 19, he says, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us. And here's what I want you to see here this morning. As we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. What Paul says here is this. He says, you know what? All these financial resources that you're going that we're gonna be collecting from you. He's talking to the Corinthian church. They're gathering financial resources to help fund the mission. Paul has sent Titus and these other brothers who are coming, and what Paul says is, the money that you are giving is serving to advance the kingdom of God. He's saying the money that you are serving, I mean, is giving, is, is a resource for the advancement of the gospel. And so here we see, even this word, the preaching of the gospel. We even see here that he talks about this act of grace that is being ministered by us. He's talking about collectively these, these resources that he's been talking about all the way through chapter 8. These resources that will be made available will go for the advancement of the kingdom of God, specifically for the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news of Christ. Most of us, if we've been in church for very long, we, we know that, that, that we, we understand that the gospel, when we hear the word the gospel, we, we know that it's talking about the good news of Christ Jesus. It literally means, in the original language, the good news, and so we know it's talking about the good news of Christ, but it's not just a story of Jesus. It's a story of redemption. It's a story. Let that word, the gospel, let that word gospel really penetrate your hearts this morning. It just doesn't simply mean good news. It means good news 
of Jesus Christ. It's referring to what we're going to be looking at next month as it looks all the way back to Jesus who came to this earth as a child who was born in a manger only to live a sinless life and to ultimately go to the cross where his blood would be shed and his life would be given up for the atonement of whose sin? Of your sin and my sin. This is the good news that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and in three days he rose from the grave having victory over both sin and death. Whose death? Our death. Jesus died that we would never have to. Amen? Jesus died that we would never have to. That we can spend the rest of our life in eternity and in the presence of a holy and righteous God. That's the gospel. what Paul says here, this money that's going to be collected is going to serve that we would carry that good news to our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. It's why we do what we do. And Paul says, I want you to make no mistake of what this is for. It's for the gospel to be preached among the people who desperately need it. I love what John Calvin once said. He said this. He said, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. I love that. It's not a doctrine of the tongue. It's not just something we simply say. It's something that really brings about life. And so he says this. He says, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates the inner recesses of what? Of the heart. That's what Paul was talking about when he mentioned that about Titus. He says this about Titus. He says, God put that there. God changed that young man's life. So here we begin to understand that the gospel, when we see this word gospel, that we need to see the gospel in this manner, that it is a tool, if nothing else, it is a tool that we use to go out and carry the good news of Christ Jesus, but also recognizing the power of the gospel. We need to understand that. Paul once said this, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation why is it that he wasn't afraid of the gospel why was it that he wasn't ashamed to share the gospel because he knew the power of the gospel he knew how just telling someone about the about the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross how that can literally transform hearts and change lives forever he recognized it as the power of God working in an individual's life. To Paul, the word gospel was never just a word saying good news. It was the great news of the redemptive work of Jesus. John Wesley once said this. He says, you have one business on this earth to save souls. You have one business on this earth to save souls. Why do we think we were created? To live happy lives on this planet? Most of my life has not been happy. Now, I'm going to probably have to explain that to my wife when I get home today. 
But honestly, you go through such an ebb and flow when you, you try to live a happy life, don't you? There's ups and there's downs and there's times where your life is just pure out miserable. And I mean, you know, we, we begin to realize that's not probably why we were created. We turn to the word of God and we begin to real, realize that why God created us was to bring glory to him, to live for him. The one and only business that we have on this world as a child of God is to take people to the throne of Jesus. That's it. That's your purpose. I can't tell you how many times I have people come up to me and say, Pastor David, I'm just really trying to pray through my purpose on this life. I just gave it to you. That's it. Honestly, that's it. I, I can't say any more than that. I mean, uh, you know, well, I, I think God's called me to be a teacher. Great, save souls. But they won't let me teach in the school. Befriend them and share after school. I don't know. Break the rules. Die for Jesus. I don't know. Your purpose in life is to tell people about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. It should always be all about the gospel. Every aspect of your life we have one business on this earth to save souls as Christians we must ask ourselves how is our giving going toward the advancement of the gospel of Jesus yesterday I was watching football how many of you <laughs> never mind don't answer that uh, I was watching football which is something I do most every Saturday and and any other time that I can get that in, I, I, you know you, you know that I'm a, a Bulldogs fan. I don't want to hear it from anybody here today, but that's just who I am. And, and uh, you know, I, lo I love the Bulldogs. You know, I, like, I like watching college football. And I was watching college football yesterday, and the commentaries, they started talking about all the schools that were going to lose their, their, their coaches this year because they had been fired, okay? A lot of schools fired coaches. Some have... Some fired their coach before they even left the field. I mean, some of the, I mean, it, you know, it was just that kind of a weekend. And so they were talking about all these coaches who had lost their jobs. And one of the commentators made this comment. He says uh, that, 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 that this one particular school that they were talking about, they said that, said that this coach is possibly going to lose his job. And here's what they said, because the alumni will never put up with that. And I began to think about that. Why did he say the alumni? What was it about? I mean, I would think maybe the athletic department or something like that or the athletic director, but he was talking about the alumni and he started talking about, you know, the, the reality. They'll never put up with that. And, and so I began to think, well, how, how much do alumni give that it would be something that they would look to? And I began to do some research. I began to think about this. I was really curious about this. I've never given a dime to Georgia Bulldogs, so uh, I guess that's why they're not winning. I don't know, but all the time, but... But, but although they're doing really good this year, but, but the reality is I started doing some research and I began to see, I began to see that in, 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 in most all Division I schools, the annual budget is in excess, in many cases, of over $100 million a year. And then I begin to look at how they raise that $100 million. And a lot of it's through ticket sales. A lot of it is through, you know, students and, and, and the school's budget that just gives it. But over one-third of most all money raised for that year's playing of football is raised by the alumni. And I begin to look at that. And I begin to see some statistics that really just blew me away. Uh, in 2008, Oklahoma raised the most from their alumni, they raised that year $52 million for the game of football. In 2008, 
Florida Gators raised 42 million. I was curious about Georgia, Alabama, and Auburn. It happened to be the game I was watching at the time between Alabama and Auburn. And so I was looking at that, and, uh, and, and in 2008, their alumni gave $30 million, and the list goes on and on and on. And I got to thinking about that. And as much as I love football, I had to believe, I had to wonder, for what? A game? A game? People's lives are no game. People's souls are no game. A lot of times we talk about, we use the, the analogy of getting in the game, but this is really no game that we're talking about here. This is the kingdom of God. This is, this is God's work. This is work that has eternal value to it. I, I, re, I was reminded of a, of a Christian, Christianity Today article that I read years ago, and I couldn't find the article as I was thinking about it this week, but it goes something like this. It says, if every Christian would tithe just 10% to their local church, that within one year, all the churches could end world poverty and take the gospel message to every tribe, tongue, and nation. In one year, if every individual would do their part in giving for the advancement of the kingdom of God, we could end world poverty. It's truly remarkable when you start thinking things like that. And I believe that's what Paul is saying. He's, he's wanting the Corinthian church to know that, man, these gifts, there's purpose behind these gifts. It's to literally change lives. Now, here's the last thing. I'm, I've already gone over eight minutes. Good night. I told you we would never get done with this. I've got, uh, well, I'm halfway done. So let's, let's plow through. The final thing that Paul points out here is this, and this, this is important for us to understand as well. In our giving, we should always aim to be blameless. In our giving, we should always aim to be blameless. Paul says here in verses 20 and 21, he says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Paul is making this very clear. He, he's, he's wanting to make sure the Corinthians understand their motives for asking for money. And he says, we're coming and we're going to be asking for money. We're coming and we're going to be collecting the money in which you give for this mission. But, but we don't want you to miss why we're asking for the money. He's talking about transparency. He's talking about being honorable with that which is given. Honorable not only in the sight of God, but also, he says, in the sight of man. And as Christians, this should always be our aim. Especially as the church, this should always be our aim. I know that in, in, in many circles today that talking about money in the church seems to be sort of taboo. It seems to be something that nobody really wants to talk about. And I believe that's because in so many cases we have seen time after time where the church abused the money that was given, that was supposed to be given for the sake of the advancement of the gospel and wasn't. So we know that these things exist in out, throughout the world. And that's why Paul says we must be honorable in what we do with the money that we receive. We, we must be transparent. We must, we must always be uh, honoring God, and we also need to honor those who are generous with their gifts. We need to be transparent. We need to be honorable with every 
money, every dollar that we collect. And I think, what a reminder for us as a church as we continue to, to press on in the vision that God has given us, as we continue to talk about the need for generosity, as we continue to talk about all of these things, we need to understand that our aim should always be one of blamelessness. In writing to the Thessalonians, Paul says this. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. God is our witness. This is something that we need to always be reminded of. So whether we're sharing the gospel or we're giving uh, of our financial resources, we are to always aim for, the, for blamelessness. We always aim for what is honorable and right. So let me just close with this here this morning. So why do we give? This is what we've talked about. Because we have a heart for God and for others. That's one of the reasons that we should be giving we have a heart for God and a heart for others. First and second greatest commandments that Jesus gave us. Because we have a heart to advance the gospel. We want to see lives changed by the power of Jesus. Amen? We want to see our community reached with the gospel. It's not good enough if we just pass out turkey. Because nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to just pass out turkeys. In my opinion, what the Word of God teaches us is it's only good to pass out the turkeys if we're taking with us that spiritual food that gives life eternal. The gospel message of Jesus. And so that's what we do. Whether we're digging wells, take the gospel with you. If you're going to dig wells in, in Africa, that's a good work, but take the gospel with you. If you're trying to make a, a difference in our world concerning human trafficking, it's an admirable work, but take the gospel with you. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the name of Jesus. And we give because our hearts long to be faithful to God I want to close with this in Exodus chapter 20 we're reading where, where God is, is giving the Ten Commandments we, we, we go to the Old Testament we see this, we, we read this and this is where God is laying out for us the, the, the Ten Commandments and, and we read there the first commandment says you shall love no other God before me and so God's first commandment to us is to love no other, to love no thing before him. I mean, he is the one who deserves our love. Amen? And so this is the first and greatest commandment. This is what Jesus affirmed when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so Jesus affirmed that this is what's most important in our life. But did you, do you know what he said just before? He gives the first commandment. What we read in Exodus chapter 20, right before we read the first commandment, this is what we read. The Lord God, he says this. He says, I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of slavery. Before God lays down those Ten Commandments, He says to the people of Israel and to us as well this morning, He says this, He says, you need to remember this, I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one that brought you out of bondage. I'm the one that brought you out of darkness. I'm the one who gave you life eternal. I'm the Lord your God. And then he says, love me with all your heart. Love me with every fiber of your being. This is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods above me. This morning as we wrap up this message here together I pray that we would remember that God is the one who is worthy of everything that we could offer. That God is the one who rescued us out of bondage. That God is the one who rescued us out of darkness. And when we begin to give of our gifts, of our talents, our treasures, our time, when we give all of those things, Let it not be a response to duty. But as Paul even pointed out to Titus, let it be because we love him above everything else in our life. God loves a cheerful giver. A faithful giver. One that puts everything that we have to the side as we worship him in spirit and in truth.